Hey everyone, welcome back to Every Version Ever. My name is Jonathan North, and today we're bringing you the final episode featuring Alice in Wonderland. For now, we will definitely come back to Alice in Wonderland as well as Through the Looking Glass in the future. But for the time being, I think we'll call this like the season finale in our current Alice in Wonderland series. And for the finale, we've got a special guest on the show. Nikki from Trivial Theater is joining me, and we're talking about two strange government PSAs from the 70s, which prominently feature characters and scenes from Alice in Wonderland. From the U.S. government, we have Curious Alice, a trippy, strange, bizarre, and kind of really creative attempt at making an anti-drug PSA for kids. Whether or not it was successful at that, we'll be talking about in the show. And from the British government, we have Alice in Labelland, a decent attempt at making a short to easily break down the intricacies of British label laws for an audience of children and housewives. So first I wanted to talk about a weird short called Curious Alice from 1971. And I found it was, I thought it was weird. Like I found this one probably on a blog somewhere because I have followed a few Alice in Wonderland blogs. And this is something that's definitely not very well known. It's, it's like an anti-drug PSA, but it almost seems like it was made by somebody who was on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most accurate statement you can say about this. And um, I went looking around a bit before um, before we started, and yeah, it's like every every review talked about how it was. They first off, you're talking about a movie that can be considered kind of trippy to start with, and just everything about it screams just someone on acid. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very bizarre. There was something I read that was a different board on of like government oversight i don't know they like were reviewing it and basically said that they didn't think that this is actually appropriate to show kids without having somebody there who's willing to walk them through it and explain everything (laughs) (laughs) because how how do you explain that honestly how do you sit down and go well this is the march hare and he's you know he's hopped up on barbiturates and um yeah don't do that (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah a lot of it I mean, there are parts that are, like, weird and creepy, but a lot of it makes it seem, I don't know, almost fun. Because oh, God, yeah. He's, like, flying through this place, and there's, like, flowers, and and it's weird, but it's also kind of pretty in a weird way, I guess. That's the best way I can describe it. Oh, no, 100% agreed. I, I think you definitely, there's one part where, like, her hair almost turns into leaves. yeah. And then leaves come over her face. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Like the animation style is is. I saw it. I guess I'm a big Monty Python fan. Like it just it reminds me so much of Terry Gilliam animation, especially okay. during that Monty Python era. The way it moves and the 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 combination of um, like a photo of her face and then animate like you know um drawn on hair and stuff like so much yeah. of that. It's just crazy. Well, that would have been about the same era. So maybe yep. there was some people taking inspiration from that oh yeah i would definitely say i mean everything about it like even the um the way the there's a set of characters like the the white the white rabbit like to see him like as kind of a an outline of a character like that's even kind of in that realm of of, mm-hmm. of gilliam animation so 
what did you think of the like the character designs of all the characters? Oh my god. It was you could see what they were going for. Like you look at um the caterpillar or like the folks at the tea party, you definitely get the they're supposed to be like strung up drug induced people in a variety mm-hmm. of ways. I mean you definitely especially with the I'm gonna get it wrong. It's the March Hare, the one that's on sleeping pills. Dormouse is on sleeping pills, March Hare is on pep pills. <laughs> he says he says that he he has pet pills, uppers, amphetamines, speed. <laughs> I, I can't imagine like a kid raising his hand and going, "Um, what is an upper?" <laughs> <laughs> no, the the style of him, especially like you know, he like woo, he's all kind of crazy, and then yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so. yeah, the dormouse he was on barbiturates, sleeping pills. And the Hatter was on LSD. (laughs) Kind of talking nonsense. I mean, a lot of that stuff, especially like what the Hatter was saying, it really seemed like something that would fit in Alice in Wonderland. They're just giving it a a drug context, which a lot of people like to do anyway. Oh, definitely. That's probably why they thought Alice in Wonderland would be a good fit for this message. Well, and I I was wondering... Message translates. uh, Not very, I don't think. kids. Oh yeah, well, and and what kid is gonna make that connection? It's gonna just be bright, shiny colors, animation, all that stuff. Um, I did find it interesting, and I guess it's been a long time since I've read Alice in Wonderland, but especially with like the caterpillars dialogue, I I thought that some of that might have actually been dialogue from the movie or the the book or well, there was, one of the two. There was a lot in this that I f- I'm pretty sure was either taken from or abridged from the original book some of what a little bit of what the caterpillar said and a lot of what he said was kind of inspired by by what he said in the book that would make sense the cheshire cat though especially in his scene aside from him saying do you know what those pills are now that wasn't but the rest of his dialogue i'm pretty sure was either taken directly from the book or like paired way down from his dialogue in the book it was basically the same scene, just really short. Oh, yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, you kind of got that that whole feel. And, and like you say, I mean, in a certain way, you can interpret Alice in Wonderland as different versions of a drug trip of one way, shape, or form. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that people try to interpret the book. And I guess if you want to take the approach of, like, using a book in the same way you use, like, art, like, find your own meaning in it, I guess that's why. And I don't think that that's what it was originally. No. Like if, I don't think that's how it originated. But I guess a lot of people do like to make those connections. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, in, yeah, I mean, you look at any any great piece of anything that people can relate to in one way, shape, or form, whether it be on a kid level for something, you know, anti-drug related or going the other way, you definitely get that a lot. So. Yeah. A lot of this felt like somebody who had made those connections and they just really wanted to highlight them, especially like with the caterpillar. Like a lot of people have talked about, they think the caterpillar is smoking marijuana, which probably isn't. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's probably, <laughs> but they, they gave him marijuana in this short. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always assumed in the original, it was it just with his voice, you kind of get that sense of someone that's very like, um, like high, not high end, but more, more affluent and can you know kind of 
it's more um about the you know en- enjoyment of the finer things yeah like the same way for the same reasons that people would smoke a pipe exactly that's that's the kind of person that i got out of the caterpillar in my reading of it anyway oh yeah yeah well and at least in the disney version you look at the disney movies of that era i mean whether you're talking uh i'm gonna screw this up like dumbo dumbo and alice they came out sort of in the same time frame didn't Dumb- they? dumbo was right before the war alice was a little bit after the war okay because i was gonna say alice, you get the- alice was kind of i think alice was in development around the same time but it was delayed because of the war. Uh, that makes sense. So maybe maybe they were, parts of them probably were made around the same time. Just Alice got put on hold for quite a while. Right. Oh, that's fair. I was just thinking like the, you look at Dumbo and there's like the scene of the, the crazy elephant scene. Oh, yes. And then you look at Alice and you've got the, the, the caterpillar and kind of his whole deal. So. Oh, yeah. I never really made that connection, but that's a good point. It is the same type of animation with the flowing shapes and the morphing and yeah i don't know if that means anything or not but hey <laughs> i think to me it just is the animators experimenting with stuff oh yeah like a well, lot that's... of people a lot of people want to do like the read into the drug stuff but like i think the animators are just having fun oh yeah <laughs> I'd, I'd want to do the same thing if i was an animator i'd want to see what i could do oh absolutely well and you interpret it you know now and look back at all the things that's been written, even if you don't go searching it out, there's still so much, so much that we put on it mm-hmm. versus when it was at the time. Not to say it was more simple-minded or more pure, but there was definitely a different interpretation of things then versus things now. Mm-hmm. And that's a, true of anything. I mean, you look at Blazing Saddles, you look at um, the things that are being called up now that were made, you know, 70, 80, well, not Blazing Saddles, but like different things that were made so long ago yeah you take them in context for when they were made versus what the context is that we put on them yeah i i try to do that with a lot of things but a lot of people want to read in like today's way of thinking into the old stuff and you can't really do that you have to think about them from a historical context oh yeah absolutely um there's a, a um, twitter handle that does a lot of like um silent movies and they make a lot of connections to now, like the things that people say about movies now versus the things that movies did back, you know, a hundred years ago. And they were talking about how movies weren't political, you know, back in the 1920s and further back. Political statements were one of the first big things that came up in movies as far back as the 1890s. I mean, even when films were being at the very beginning, they had those same, not the same kind of political messages, but there were still those messages in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I find it, I don't know if funny is the right word, but like anytime somebody brings up, like a, a recent one that I saw on Twitter was Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. People were talking about that and interpreting it for today's climate and saying like the, the messages in it were like pretty pertinent. And then there are a lot of people coming on and like saying, you're just reading too much into this. There was nothing political in that. <laughs> And you have the actual, like, the creator coming into the conversation saying that, yeah, there was. Like, we put these things in there for a reason. And it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's funny that people were arguing with the creator about the creator's own intent for their own story. <laughs> but, you know, people like to argue. I mean, that's, like, look at all this stuff. And given our current situation of things, I mean, even Joker. 
that's less than a year old. And the way that people interpret have interpreted that since before it came out Mm -hmm. and all the messages that people attempt to put on that, regardless of what the message honestly was. And I think that they left it open to quite a lot of its own interpretation. I've heard numerous rumors about what the actual meaning of it is and, you know, what you can draw from it. I mean, the shining, even going back there, it's, it's, you can draw so much depending upon how, how you look at it and your perceptions and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of things like that. I, I think of it like art, especially like modern art and abstract art. Like sometimes the creators want you to look into it and make your own meaning from it. So I don't think it's necessarily wrong to try and find meaning in things that maybe wasn't exactly intended. Oh, absolutely. It, it makes it makes the experience a little more personal. Oh no, and that's I 100% agree. I and it's it, it's interesting to see what draws what people draw from it and how yeah, I mean like there's a documentary on the shining called 11 or um what is it? It's room 237 or room 217, I don't remember which, but they get into all these conspiracy theories about what Kubrick meant by the movie. And it's fascinating like what people have you know right or wrong what people have drawn from that everything from like the moon landing to just like out of the craziness or what seems crazy to me at least like messages about native americans and aliens and all this stuff it's just like that's incredible that's cool but i can't see it (laughs) you know yeah but i've probably taken us far enough off track (laughs) yeah i was was just thinking what sorry. were we last talking about? <laughs> about <this. laughs> I'm so sorry. sorry. <laughs> You're fine. I Just call mind. me a tangent person. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind rabbit trails. Well, hey, it's a good place for it, right? Talking about Alice. Yeah. Well, I guess we've probably talked about most of the important stuff from this short. I guess my main takeaway was that it was an interesting short with interesting, cool animation, but I don't think it's going to turn anyone away from drugs. No, definitely so. Use children. <laughs> I will say the one other thing I had in my notes was I've um, through a variety of different things. I've watched a lot of PSAs, um, mm-hmm. like especially through Rift Tracks. They, they do a lot of those. Um, it's a thing off of MS Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. But it's a fascinating how like different eras affect different kinds of PSAs. You can take one look at this and everything about it tells you that it's from the 70s. There's absolutely no doubt. Yeah, this one well, thing I guess I never mentioned was the music. Oh, God. <laughs> 70s. Like very sci fi. Oh, yeah. So strange. <laughs> Especially around the Caterpillar. Like that was where the weirdest music was. Oh, yeah. Well, it kind of matched the visuals too, as far as like the way it's laid out and such and some of the transitional elements. Mm hmm. I did have one other thing I was, um, when I was looking stuff up, one of the trivia points I ran across was there was a coloring book associated oh. with this Curious Alice. Oh, really? Yeah. Not. <laughs> <laughs> At least according to Wikipedia. So take that how you will. Well, Wikipedia usually, for all people want to talk bad about Wikipedia, I've found them to be pretty, pretty reliable. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised, especially if they were trying to use this as a, teaching tool for kids depending on how young they wanted to go with it maybe the a coloring book would have been good <laughs> supplemental material who knows <laughs> can you imagine 
the caterpillar as a as a character in a coloring book. <laughs> but really, any of these things. I don't, oh God. I don't know that I would have wanted to color these creatures as a child. <laughs> Maybe Alice, but the rest of them were weird. Oh, God, yeah, without doubt. <laughs> you can't say they were boring, though. They definitely held your attention. No, that is true. <laughs> well, Curious Alice, that was a U.S. government PSA, and I realized tonight when I was doing my final notes Alice in Labeland is actually a British PSA. It was from the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries, and Food in the UK, which I thought was kind of interesting. It is an interesting combination. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed watching through it that there was some, uh, probably, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in label laws in the US, but I feel like there might have been a few differences between how the uk labels things and the way we label things i don't know um definitely agree with you there i think as far as the um like when they talked about um the people you go to if you didn't get like the proper labeling things like you ended up taking Mm -hmm. it to your local government it's like yeah here in the states your local government would look at you and laugh even back in the 70s yeah there was one thing in particular that i noticed when the labels they must have the word flavored on them when no fruit is present, which I think is a thing here. But they also said something to the effect of it can only include fruit, like pictured on the label, if it contains real fruit. And I'm fairly certain that's not a thing in the U.S. because they'll put pictures of fruit on anything that, that oh, has yeah. a fruit flavor in it. Well, hell, chocolate bars that have, like, raspberry flavoring in them come with that on the label. So, no, 100%. They, uh, yeah, truth in advertising is uh, always a fun topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The, watching through this, I was like, this is such a weird combination of label laws and Alice in Wonderland. And I'm like, how did they, like, I got the, I get the connection for Curious Alice because, like, everybody always talks about, drug related things having to do with Alice in Wonderland, but like label laws, <laughs> like where was the connection <laughs> for Alice in Wonderland? That was the first thing I wrote down that and Alice had incre- had incredibly creepy eyes. I noticed that too. Like <laughs> my first, my first thought when looking at Alice was like, Oh, they're trying to go for kind of like the old illustrations. And then it like zoomed in on her face and was like, Nope. That doesn't look like the old <laughs> illustrations <anymore." laughs> Well, in some of her proportions, like there's one part where her legs are like 10 feet long and then another one where like her skirt, like her feet, like it's like a foot tall, like a foot off the ground, like her skirt is and like Mm -hmm. the way it moves is just, it's creepy. It's, it's, it's kind of disconcerting. Yeah. It's, it's very weird that there was one scene in it that I almost thought was creepier than the like Curious Alice stuff when and maybe it's just me that find find it creepy because everybody finds different things creepy. <laughs> when the can labels come to life, there's the car the carpenter from the Walrus and the Carpenter sequence. Oh and yeah. The mock turtle, the dormouse, the mad hatter. And they like they start like looping their animation and mm-hmm. repeating the same word over and over and over again. Like, <laughs> is that supposed to be scary? Because I think I would have been creeped out as a kid if I saw this. That scared the crap out of me. And then um, the Queen of Hearts. 
was terrifying. She was oh my god! Like two seconds. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was. Yeah, it it didn't like when she goes shopping to start with. Like you talk about, like the correlation between the Wonderland and the food labels thing. Um, like I had to go back and look to see when Alice in Wonderland came out. Because otherwise, like, unless it came out close to the time that this would have been done, it didn't make sense for the, the correlation. Like, it wasn't po- necessarily a popping thing, something that was just popular right then. Well, there was there was a version released in the early 70s, like 72 maybe. There was oh, okay. a live action version. Huh. So maybe this was, like, trying to bank off of the... I don't know if it was popular, but, like, maybe they thought it was popular and they were trying to bank on their perceived popularity that's possible the, that's the possible. 70s one is kind of faded into obscurity too so yeah most most versions of alice in wonderland fade into obscurity other than disney's yeah the, <laughs> it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me like the trying to make the connection but there was a quote that i wrote down because i think this is where they're trying to make the connection and they say the shopper may feel projected into a confusing wonderland, uh, roving through row upon row of shelves containing bottles, jars, cans, offering a bewildering choice and from which she must <laughs> choose exactly what she wants. It's like this really long run-on sentence of <laughs> trying to make this connection <laughs> between wonderland and shopping and I didn't. I didn't really get it, but that's where they're trying to connect it. <laughs> and it yeah, I, I did find it interesting, like the confusion over labels, and I, I guess trying to put yourself into that time frame, like if you were going back to like the 30s or 40s, where you know you had still a lot of bulk purchase mm-hmm. versus like things in cans, and maybe even further back than that. But to take it to the 70s and to say, and I guess maybe if they changed the law, it would have been different. But I, I, I can't think that a basic can of food would be that difficult to correlate yeah i i don't really get why they felt the need that to make this psa but there was apparently a law that passed like it was put into practice in 73 so the short came out in 74 so maybe they thought that there was going to be confusion when they passed this new law and they decided to make this short to help guide people through it that makes sense really I mean, it all seems pretty straightforward to me. You'd <laughs> think so. And, reading the label. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that always comes back to me, at least from a review side of things, is something that Red Ladder Media talks about, and it's who was the audience for this piece, whether you're talking about a movie, a TV show, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, as you say, I, it's hard to know. This is built like something for kids, but by and large... It's not going to be kids that do a lot of the mm-hmm. buying, obviously. Well, there was there was a little piece I read on BFI's website, the British Film Institute. They talked about it being made both for school children and housewives. <laughs> you know, actually, at the very end, in the credits, the, um, they gave a special thanks to the Housewives Trust. So. Okay. That in itself makes sense. And even at the very end, like one of the last visuals was Alice making me a meal for like um, the tea party. Yeah. And like the tea party guy is just going like, you know, crossing their arms and being all upset at what they're being fed. 
yeah she she says something like it'll be easy to tell some tell something about it'll be easy to tell what's in the food we're buying but it won't make a difference the family will still be <laughs> and then the dormouse mad hatter and march hare kind of throwing a fit at the table <laughs> well they would do that regardless of what was in front of them so you know yeah <laughs> um there was kind of a funny part when they brought out um the minister guy as a knight um yeah. first his his red face was hilarious or pink face was hilarious but they had they threw some what felt like cheeky jabs like almost kind of a it was and maybe it was just the way i interpreted it but um he he's talking about how the food regulation law of 1970 was implemented in 1973 and i'm sure that was generally like it's like any law it takes a little time for it to come into effect mm -hmm. but just the way he said it i it came off to me like they're they're taking some some little subtle jabs at what's going on here that's kind of what it felt like well since like when he wrote in his flag thing says the ministry of agriculture fisheries and food which is the people who put this out so i kind of wondered if like the white knight in look through the looking glass is kind of a bumbling character so i'm wondering if they're kind of making a self-depreciating joke by casting themselves as the white knight especially <laughs> when alice comes in and interrupts him to like explain what he's talking about even no. though she was the one who was confused at the beginning and so <laughs> he's the one explaining everything <laughs> well you know she had learned so much by that point she she was in good shape right yeah his his confusing speech made sense only to her so she decided to explain it to everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so is english needing to be interpreted into english yeah <laughs> well, it's kind of like and i think that said something the effect of it's law speak like legal speak and uh, to be fair a lot of laws the way they're written make sense mostly to the lawmakers yeah, you have to like them. really read them to oh. understand what they're talking about true you need a you need something to interpret the interpretation of the interpretation yeah which i guess is what alice was there for well, that's good. It's a good thing she was there then, even though that's not necessarily a staple of her character, you still get the idea of it. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, this whole thing didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm not from that time. So maybe there was need for this. Maybe people were confused. Maybe this was a new enough thing that people needed some kind of explanation. That is entirely know. possible. Definitely. I mean, you you look at other PSAs of the era, and there was some. I mean, they got weird um, as far as their approach and stuff. Like there was one that talked about you know walking from your house to the park or your house to school, and it was a twenty minute PSA, but it took you know like nine tenths of it was just other stuff. Like once you got down to the actual meat and potatoes of what needed to be said, it could have been said much more concisely. Especially, mm -hmm. and I guess kids' attention spans were different. Well, but, there, there was some of that in this too, especially stuff like when she's falling through the endless shelves and then the cans coming to life and there was a lot of filler stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, God, it took probably five minutes to actually get to the any kind of thing about what, what would needed to be said. Yeah, yeah. It, it The beginning, it just seemed like, what are they going for here? This is kind of confusing. Yeah. Before they got into the actual information, I was like, oh, okay, now I see what they're trying to do. Oh, no doubt. I know doubt. But I will tell you, I learned so much about food packaging. I, I feel so much more informed as a 1970s consumer. Yeah, me too. 
I have to go tell all our housewives friends. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they'll be wearing their party aprons. Uh, Probably. (laughs) No, it was, it was an interesting short though. Um, Like just the, the animation type and just the contrasting the two, it was, you know, being made in a similar area, but such different styles of telling stories. Yeah. The animation was very different but you could still tell that they were both very 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, again, looking at this, you can... Everything about it screams 70s. Yeah. Especially the music. Oh, God. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't quite as noticeable in Label Land, but Curious Alice, for sure. It was oh, yeah. So very 70s. Although, the uh, 70, or, uh, Curious Alice definitely was... Like, that was a trip and a half. Whatever they're meaning... It definitely came off as probably what it shouldn't have been, whereas um, Label Land definitely had more preciseness to it. Yeah, as far as like getting their actual message across, I feel like Alice in Label Land was a lot more successful. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't quite as much fun, but it definitely, um, you know. But given the subject matter, I mean, anti-drug PSA is going to be much more interesting than learning about the labeling on the side of products. That is true. <laughs> well, I guess that's all I've got for these two strange little shorts. You have any final thoughts? You know what? I uh I'm glad I watched them. I definitely um I'm definitely more informed about various things than I was before. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess before we go, do you want to let people know where they can find you if they want to follow you and get more of your content? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm on uh, YouTube um, at Trivial Theater. You can just type it in and you'll find me. And then on Twitter, you can find me at uh, Trivia underscore Chick and trick it, Chick is without a K. So uh, yeah, stop by, say hi. I'd love to have you. Okay. Well, I think we'll try and have you on for another episode in the future. So. Oh, well, we'll I had a wonderful you. time. Thank you yeah. so much, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining me. We'll probably see you for another episode in the future. All right. Rock on. Thank you so much. Thanks to Nikki for joining me for this episode of Every Version Ever. If you want more from her, I'll have links to her stuff in the description below. Plus, if you want to jump over to my YouTube channel or my other podcast, iHeartMovies, I'll be posting an extended version of this episode, which features a fun conversation getting to know Nikki a bit more, talking about her favorite books, movies, etc. I'll have that linked for you in the description below as well. So, like I said at the beginning, this is the last episode of our Alice in Wonderland series for now. But don't worry, we'll definitely come back for more Wonderland adventures in the future. For now, I want to transition into a new book, and since we're heading into July, and since I've always tried to do something for Christmas in July on my YouTube channel and podcast, I figured I wouldn't break tradition here, and we'll start looking at one of my favorite Christmas stories, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. For the first episode, I'd been planning to record an episode with Sarah looking at all the different silent versions of the story, like we did for Alice in Wonderland. But life has been really crazy for both of us recently, and we have not gotten a chance to do that yet. So in the meantime, I think we'll probably get started with some repeats from past year's reviews, but as soon as we get a chance, we'll be making you some completely new content, even if we have to wait and use it as the finale. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. We'll see you next time.